Let's, uh, let's read together from Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to start from verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, says, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke, to the word of the, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Let's just pray, shall we, and then we'll, we'll get stuck into this, this passage. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you reveal so much to us of, of your heart for us, your plans and your purposes through us and in us. 
Lord, I just pray as we look at this now, you would just come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you come and guide us? Lord, we want to be your church this morning. We want to give glory and honour to you. When you just pray, Lord Jesus, you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, if you remember, we left Paul travelling through uh, Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, strengthening and encouraging the churches that he met there. And eventually he came to the coast, the sort of west coast of, of Turkey, at a place called Troas. And uh, while he was at Troas, he received a vision of a, a man from Macedonia begging Paul to cross over the sea and, and come over to Macedonia. And, and that's what he did. And that's often hailed as, as the, uh, the, the entry of the gospel into modern-day Europe. And, uh, and of course, it, it is geographically although Europe would have not had any meaning in, in those days. It would just be moving from one region of the, the Roman Empire to another region. But it was certainly taking the gospel further than it had ever been before. And before very long, Paul and Silas, who was travelling with him, arrived at Philippi. And Philippi was a, an old Greek city. It was named after the, the father of Alexander the Great, And most of the population of Philippi would have been retired soldiers from the Roman army. And what we have in this chapter is an account of three different people coming to a knowledge of Jesus as their saviour. And actually, they're the three most unlikely characters that, that formed the very start of the church in Philippi. I just want to look at these three characters that, that, found, that found their saviour. First of all, there was Lydia. Now, I want to put up a, just, just to help you graphically, Lydia's looking a bit manly, I'm afraid, so uh, forgive me for that. I just wanted a, a person, okay, to represent Lydia, okay? First of all, there was Lydia. Now, Lydia was a respected person in the community. She was a a tradeswoman. She was a a business lady and and she traded in cloth, particularly cloth that had a certain purple dye that originated from the place that Lydia was from, uh, the region of Thyatira, which was back over in Asia Minor, in, in Turkey. Now, Lydia would have been a wealthy woman. She was able to travel freely around that region, plying her trade. She would have been a kind of, a, a woman who had sort of world wisdom. She was kind of savvy. She, she knew how things operated. She owned her own house. She was probably kind of somewhere near the top of society in Philippi. Now, probably life at those times was, had its challenges, had its difficulties. But if you were going to look at all the people in Philippi, you'd look at Lydia... And you'd say, there is a lady who's got life sorted. She's kind of got life under control. She knows what's what. She's got plenty of money. Life's okay. And, you know, I think there are many people around us in Winchester, maybe some people in here this morning, who, who kind of would be viewed in that way. You've sort of just got life sorted. 
It's, it's, it's all okay. We're happy, we've got money, life's under control, it's, it's all alright. Sometimes with people like that, it can even seem that the gospel is a bit of an intrusion. Because they don't seem to, to express any need for anything. But actually, Lydia found that there was a message that she needed to respond to. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the gospel. She saw that it applied to her and and she was kind of wooed into the kingdom of God. So that's Lydia. Okay, the next person was a slave girl. There's a slave girl. Now the slave girl was pretty much the opposite extreme to Lydia. If Lydia was kind of right at the top of society, the slave girl, well, she'd have been the lowest of society. She was a slave. That meant that she had no rights of her own. She was owned. She was the possession of her owners. But not only that, but she was exploited by her owners. Her owners paraded her in public for financial gain. And we're told that that she was oppressed by demonic spirits. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And I think it's worth noting here that, that actually the Bible would teach us that demonic spirits have no knowledge of the future. It is only God as creator who exists outside of time. But what demonic spirits do have, I believe, is a pretty extensive knowledge of the present. And, and actually, as a, as a sideshow in, in Philippi, it, you can see how that would quickly attract a crowd. And uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Even today, how intrigued people are by kind of spiritual things. And uh, you only have to look at some of the, uh, the programs that are on our televisions now. I was just looking down the TV guide yesterday. There's Enchanted, Sanctuary, Most Haunted... All these things are just presenting the kind of evil spiritual side of life. If there is a spiritual kind of thing going on, but it is not giving glory to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then it is full of deceit, and it's full of control, and it's full of evil and destruction. But as far as the society in Philippi was concerned, this slave girl was the lowest of the low. She was, she was low life. She she was a freak show, really. And that was the slave girl. But the power in the name of Jesus came and set her free. And she was released into the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have much information about what happened to this slave girl. Did she join the church? Was she terminated because she was no longer of use to her employers? We actually don't know. But what I do believe is that she had a life-changing experience. That having been released from this demonic oppression, she would have been filled with the Holy Spirit and met Jesus as her saviour. And I think we can assume that she was there then as part of that church in Philippi. I'm going to make that assumption. And then the third person that we encounter in Philippi is the jailer. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and a jailer was set to guard them. But in the middle of the night, as Paul and Silas are worshipping and singing hymns, 
there's a violent earthquake. And the walls are shaken to such an extent that all the doors of the prison fly open. And the jailer, when he sees what's happened, he draws his sword and he's about to kill himself. Because he knows that the penalty for allowing these prisoners to escape will be that that he will be executed himself. So he thinks, well, I might as well shortcut that process and, and, and do myself in. But Paul says, no, 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 we're still here. Don't, don't worry. And the jailer at that point came to faith in God. He was literally kind of jolted into the kingdom of God. Now, the jailer, in terms of his position in society, he would have been somewhere kind of in the middle. Not as high as Lydia, this kind of tradeswoman in, in purple cloth, but not as low as a slave girl. He would have been kind of in the middle. He held a, a, a regular job. He was kind of the fabric of society. He kept things going. It wasn't particularly exciting, but it paid the bills. And maybe that would be sort of where most of us are at in terms of our position in, in society. You know, we're, we're just kind of, we, we hold down a job, you know, we keep life going. We're, we're sort of in that kind of middle class position. So these three people... Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, they became the church. And it's just remarkable, isn't it? Because these three people should, by rights, have had nothing to do with each other. You couldn't have picked three more diverse people in that community. And yet they became the church. Now, you can look around Winchester Family Church and and sort of draw similar conclusions and you think, wow, what a, a weird bunch of people in the nicest sort of possible way. Yeah, but we've got all sorts among us here, haven't we? We've got perhaps the top end of society. We've got the lowest end of society. We've got people in the middle. We've got the young. We've got the old. We've got the rich and the poor. We've got the uh, people in high power jobs and, and those in, in unemployment. And yet together, we form the church. And isn't that just such a wonderful thing? And I want to explore that this morning. And the first thing I want us to notice is that although there is tremendous diversity, we actually all come to God in the same way. There are actually, there is a commonality in the way we come to God and find our salvation. So that it doesn't matter who you are and what your background is, The way to Jesus is open to you because it doesn't depend on who you are and what your life is like and where you come from. We all come to God the same way. I don't know if you were watching uh, Britain's Got Talent yesterday and uh, I I, I just couldn't help notice the irony that I'm speaking on diversity and and, and there was diversity winning through. And I have to say there was a, a vote cast from the, the Thompson household for, uh, for diversity last night. And uh, actually, we had Damon and Tita around for dinner, and, and uh, Tita knew the number to dial like it was her own home phone number. So uh, I, I dread to think how much, uh, how much money has gone that direction from the Cross household this week. But uh, yeah, anyway, diversity. We are a diverse church, but we all come to God in the same way. Let's look at these three people who were saved. Because in every case, God is the initiator. 
it may seem that becoming a Christian actually means kind of adopting ideas or, or just kind of accepting things to be true or, you know, taking on board a philosophy. But, you know, actually God is the initiator. And when you look at the conversion of these three people here, you can see, wow, stuff was going on. God was there, moving in extraordinary ways. You know, God is spirit. And you become a Christian when the Holy Spirit comes to you and, and gives you new birth. So in the case of Lydia, it was the Lord who opened her heart. And uh, it's a great statement of salvation here and, and how, how salvation actually works. And, and, you know, it answers the question, doesn't it? Do, do we freely respond to Jesus or, or does God come sovereignly and, and save us? Where it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, God was there. He is the initiator. For the jailer, he was having quite a day, wasn't he? But God spoke to him, first of all, through a massive earthquake. And, and then the, the, the shock of, of, of thinking that he'd come to the end of his life. And, and, and then the, the testimony of, of Paul and Silas, that they hadn't escaped. But God was there. You cannot engineer an earthquake. God was on his case. God was revealing himself to the jailer that day. And for the slave girl too, there's less detail. But it's the power of Jesus that comes and sets her free. That, that releases her from her demonic oppression. You see, none of them are saying, nobody is saying here, oh, over here Lord, you know, I'm interested, will you, will you come to me over, over here? No, for everybody, God is there. God is ready. God is working in a person's life. And you know, that's what it's like. When you come to Jesus, God is right there. He's there. He's ready. He's, he's on your case. He's the initiator. And if you're seeking answers this morning, make sure that, that your starting point is God. You know, we can ask the questions about our own lives. How, how can I sort my life out? And how can I solve this emptiness that I'm feeling and make it all about us? I encourage you to make it all about God. Who is God? What does he think of me? What has he done for me to solve my problems? And when you make your questions about God, you will find the answers that really count. Because God is the centre. Because he is the initiator. So that's the first thing. The second thing to know is that in every case, there is a messenger. God is the initiator, but he uses his people as his messengers. And in this case, it was Paul and Silas. So for Lydia, the Lord opened her heart, but he opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. There was a message. For the slave girl, Paul became so troubled by what was going on that he turned round and he said to the spirit, you see, Paul was there. Ready, moving in, in signs and wonders. For the jailer, he responded to God, but then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. You see, there was a message, and Paul and Silas were ready to bring the message. 
If you're not a believer in Jesus, then can I encourage you to listen very carefully to the words of people around you who you know are Christians. Because that might just be the very voice of God speaking directly to you. Because God uses his people to convey the message. And if you're just beginning to believe, or, or maybe you've, you've been a Christian for a short amount of time, then uh, like this jailer, you need to feed on the truth. I, I see many Christians who, who begin like the jailer began, but, but then kind of do, do something different. I, they, what I mean is they begin like the jailer, in that they begin with a, an amazing encounter of God. You know, that God breaks into their life in an amazing way. And think, yes, I, I see that God is true. I, I believe. Sometimes God answers the prayer of the unbeliever in amazing ways. I, I, I've just noticed that that happens. God is so gracious, isn't he? That, that when people who are kind of really seeking God, but are not yet quite there, they kind of pray big prayers. And, and so often, God, God's there and, and he answers the, the prayer that's being prayed. And, and it's, it's an amazing kind of experience of God right there at the beginning. I think it also can be true of the Alpha Holy Spirit Day. I think Alpha is fantastic. I would encourage you to sign up to the Alpha that, that begins in July. The Alpha Holy Spirit days is a wonderful way of actually encountering God, perhaps for the first time. But I do find people who, who do experience something of God on, on a, an Alpha Holy Spirit day, but then don't follow that up by feeding on the truth. Well, like this jailer, after you've had an experience of God, feed on the truth. Get answers to the questions. Look into God's word. Make sure you're receiving teaching as, as, as much as you're able. Because we need the truth to stay strong, to grow in our Christian faith. There is a message to, to hear. And, uh, and like this jailer, having believed, we then need to hear the, the word of the Lord. Be hungry for it. So, in every case, there was... A messenger, and of, of course, as believers, as Christians, we need to be ready to convey that, that message. But let's move on. In every case, they believed in Jesus. Lydia said, If you consider me a believer in the Lord. You see, that was really the, the nub of the issue. That's what counted. For Lydia, she was saying, Do you consider me a believer in the Lord? And the jailer, he said, what must I do to be saved? And, and Paul and Silas said, you need to believe. You need to believe in Jesus. You know, it's only by faith that you are saved. And it's so simple. It's so wonderful. We are all born into sin. We are all born with a, a, a separation from God, a, a barrier that, that we cannot cross because of our sin. And we can try different ways to sort our life out. We can try different ways to get back to God. We can try being religious. We can try being good. We can try all sorts of kind of spiritual encounters. We can even try going to church. But it's not going to help. It is only by faith in Jesus. It's only by believing in him 
that we are saved. Believing that he is who he says he is. Well, he says he is God. Do you believe? Yeah, Jesus, he is God. It's believing that Jesus did do what he said he did. That he went to the cross. That he suffered and died, taking the penalty for your sin and for my sin. Do you believe? When you believe that, then, then that's what counts. That's the nub of the issue. And all these people, as diverse and as different as they were, top of society, bottom of society, they all believed in Jesus. And that's what counts. That's, that's where it makes a difference. Do you believe that it is true? And then lastly, in every case, the result was a transformed life. First of all, we look at Lydia. She became persuasive in her hospitality and she was desperate for Paul and Silas to come back to her home. And in fact, Lydia's house became the base for the church in Philippi as it, as it grew. The slave girl clearly had a transformed life because she no longer operated in the way she had been operating for her, for her owners. And uh, that, that certainly put her out of a job and uh, we can really only guess at the implications of that for her own life. But certainly her life was transformed by the gospel. No longer bondage to demonic spirits but set free. Set free from that oppression. It's a transformed life. And the jailer as well. You see acts of mercy. He uh, himself opened up his home to Paul and Silas. He gave them food. He attended to their, their medical needs. And, and it just says that he was just filled with a joy because he found Jesus in his life. It, it transformed him from the inside out. And you know, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, the result of finding Jesus is a transformed life. It's not that life becomes easier, but it does become better. Because there is a freedom that, that comes from a knowledge of Jesus and being filled with his Holy Spirit's power. So, people from all different stratas, from all different walks of society, and yet all wonderfully saved all coming to God the same way. And you know, the way to God is open to every single one of you. You might have discounted yourself previously because you might have thought, well, I'm not that type of person. You know, I've, I've been in here, but I, I don't quite fit in. I don't fit the mould. Well, I tell you, there is no mould. There is no shape that you have to fit in. There are no criteria that you have to fulfill before you come to Jesus. Whoever you are, the way to God is open to you this morning. It is only by belief in Jesus that you are saved. So these three people, Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, they became the foundation of the church. And the church carried on much the same. Other people were saved. Other people were added to the church. Probably equally diverse in nature. But you know, that wasn't the end of the story. Because Paul wrote 
to the church in Philippi around 10 years later. So the church had begun with these first few people getting saved. 10 years later, Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi. And we have that as our book of Philippians in the New Testament. Now, one thing that you see as you read through the book of Philippians is Paul's immense affection for the people that are there in Philippi. Just picking out some phrases from uh, Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I have you in my heart. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a genuine closeness there. But you know, there is something else. There is another major theme that comes out of the book of Philippians. Because actually, what's happened over those ten years is that diversity, that variety that's existed in people's lives has actually caused a few problems. As that church has grown up, they've kind of celebrated that they're all from different walks of life. Yeah, I'm sure. But actually, some kind of negative things have come in as a result. Things like selfishness. It's like kind of arguing and and, and bitterness. There's, there's been some grumbling going on. And these are things, I believe, that, that, that result from the diversity of characters and origins that we have in the church. And so later, Paul had to write things like this. I just put up some sort of key phrases through Philippians. And in, in one sense, I've picked out these phrases, but they, they do represent a thread that runs through the whole book. You have to read it for for yourself. He says, In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And then he treats a special case. He says, I plead with Eudia and I plead with Sintaichi to agree with each other in the Lord. It seems that Paul had been asked to judge in a dispute between this person called Eudia, funny name, and Sintaichi. And, and then probably he's kind of gives some stern words to one of them to get in line. And what Paul does is he gives them a kind of an apostolic banging together of the heads. And he says, I plead with you, dear, and I plead with Sintaichi to just agree with each other in, in the Lord and, uh, and, and get on with it. Now, we can know in our heads, can't we, that, uh, that we're all church together. That we come from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, some different perspectives. But, you know, in our hearts, we actually need to work at it. We actually need to understand what that means for us as a people and, and, and make sure that, that, uh, that the things that, that Paul had to write to the church in Philippi, that he wouldn't have to write to the church in Winchester. Now, I think first of all we need to understand what the church is. We need to get our thinking right. Now, Paul wrote to the the church in Ephesus as well. He said that the church is now one new man in Christ. 
And, uh, and, and I want us to look at that verse because it, it really gets our theology right. When we get our thinking right, we can then get our practice right as a church. Okay, we are one new man in Christ. Let's look at this verse in, in Ephesians. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now the issue that was being addressed there was the social divide between Jews and Gentiles. Socially, they, they, were, they were apart. And the Jews thought, well, if, if Gentiles are going to be saved, we need to bring them into our camp. They, we need to make them Jews. And the Gentiles thought, well, we don't want to be Jews. We don't like them. We're going to stay on our own. And actually what God says, that it's, no, it's, it's not Jews and it's not Gentiles. Actually, in the church, I am creating a new thing. A new man. I'm going to bring unity by creating something completely new. It's, it's the church. And, and both Jews and Gentiles need to be saved and brought into this new thing. And, and then we're all completely the same. We're all completely equal. Because it's only by being in Christ that, that we are saved. And there's complete equality in that. Now in these days, we don't have the social divides between Jew and Gentile. They, they don't really mean, mean anything to us, do they? But we do have different social divides that I think do mean something. I think in Winchester, we have a very significant social divide between those who have money and wealth and resources and those who don't have money and wealth and resources. And, you know, we need to make sure that we don't sit in our camps. We don't build artificial barriers in the church. We recognise that we are one new man, all brought into one church together. And that has implications for us. It means that there are no sections in the church. It's not where you come from that matters It's where you're going that matters. And you might have come into this church and you might feel that you sit in in one particular kind of category of person and think, well, I can't relate to them over there because I'm not in that camp. You know, I'm, I'm here. But you know, there are no barriers. We are one new man in Christ. There are no sections of the church if, if you come from a, a kind of a poorer background, you mustn't look at, at, at people with, of, of means and think, well, I can't relate to them. I, I, I can't understand. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go and talk to them. I'm, I'm in this part of the church, not that part of the church. No, we, we are all together. We are all in the church together. If you're a student, you mustn't think, well, I, I wouldn't talk to somebody who's not a student because I'm, I'm just not that part of the church. No, we are all the church together. We are all one people together. The church without sections. It may be that you feel you're on the, the fringe of the church. Just kind of on the outside looking in. And, and you say, well, I can see who the core people are, but, but I'm, not, I'm not one of those core people. But I can tell you there is no core, there is no fringe. We are one new man in Christ. 
And, and I want us to take active steps wherever we can to break down any tendencies to have barriers in the church. Because we can step across them. They don't exist, actually. They don't exist. We want to take active steps to remove them when they're in our thinking. We are one new man in Christ. There are no sections in the church. This has been a, a bit of a, a concern of mine over the Stanmore uh, venue. The, the, if, as you know, we've been thinking very seriously about uh, beginning a venue of Winchester Family Church in Stanmore. And uh, if you were at the last church family night, the, the members meeting, you'd have heard me sort of try and give a bit of an update, which was a bit fluffy and, and didn't really say anything. It was a bit of a comedy number, really. And uh, because we weren't completely sure at that time that this is what we, we needed to do. I tell you now, we just feel we've had extra clarity on this subject that, that we're going to go for it. We're going we're to do it. Just feel we've just heard from God and, and want to walk forward in, in that direction. And, and this is what we're going to do in Stanmore. I'll tell you more about it at the, at the next church family night at the end of June. But one concern that I had, and, and I had to just overcome in my mind, was on this whole subject of creating artificial divisions in the church. Because Stanmore is great, okay? I think Stanmore's fantastic. I live on Stanmore, right? It's a great community. But the average kind of income on Stanmore is perhaps lower than it is in Winchester as a whole. But what we must not create is a part of our congregation that's for poor people and a part of our congregation that's, that's for wealthy people who, who, who meet here. Because that's, that's an artificial barrier. And, and the reality is, is that there are people within Stanmore who, who are not at the lower end of the income spectrum. And I want to see them in Winchester Family Church. And the reality is is that there are people in Winchester who are not in Stanmore, but who are also poor. And we need to see them here in this building. You know, we, we are not creating artificial divisions in the church. We are simply looking to take the gospel to where people are in an exciting and fresh way. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we're going to do. But we mustn't. We mustn't. Start building sections and divisions in the church. There are none. What you have been, where you have come from, is irrelevant. It's where you are going that counts. Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Are you his? The second thing it it means is that all are welcome among us. Now, Lydia was, was wonderfully saved her family were, were saved with her, and, uh, and she became the, the church there in, in Philippi. Can you imagine, as they're sat there being church, and then the slave girl walks in? And they're like, oh no, we, we know this, we know this girl. Oh no, we, we, I mean, if she, she's going to be like 95% problem and, and 5% blessing maybe. Well, do you know, I don't think it was like that. I think all were welcome in the church. And, uh, you know, I just think it's a challenge, isn't it, to us again? All must be welcome among us, from the very rich to the very poor. Everybody who walks through that door is a gift from God to us. Now, there's a verse in in James that that, that just kind of uh, spells this out to us. 
which I think is just worth reading. Let's read James chapter 2, verse 2 to 4. Put it up on the wall. Suppose a man, I mean, you can almost just apply this directly, okay? Suppose a man comes into our meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. Imagine it. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or, or, or you, just, you just kind of sit over there. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I mean, it's, it's quite provoking, isn't it? Well, you know, I just think, let's, let's be careful. Every person that comes among us, we must love and welcome and be ministers of Jesus too. Because, you know, every person is a gift from God. We are a very welcoming church. We are. Well, I, I receive many, many good stories of our welcome. Let's keep it up. Let's all be welcoming. Let's welcome all. Okay? And then lastly, third thing it means is that our greatness is now determined by our level of service of others. Society would say that your greatness is determined by your, your wealth, your status in the community. And, uh, and actually, Jesus' disciples argued about this, didn't they? Sort of incessantly, really. They wanted to know who was the greatest, who, who, who is the best among us, who is the first among equals. And, uh, and what Jesus said to them is the kingdom principle is this. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And we're all in the church together. It's not that we're clones. There is a greatness in God's eyes, but it's determined by how we serve one another. And uh, it's a kingdom principle that was supremely illustrated in Jesus. And as Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians church. He had to point very powerfully at the person of Jesus. And, and it's a familiar passage to us, isn't it, in Philippians 2, where it talks about Jesus and it says how he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And it goes on to say, therefore God exalted him. And uh, we, we're very familiar with that passage, aren't we? But sometimes we can forget why Paul was writing it. And what he was doing was he was illustrating a point. He was saying, this is the kingdom principle. We need you to be servants of each other, serving one another, looking out for each other, and then God will elevate you. It's supremely illustrated in Jesus. In Philippians, Paul says, How uh, in in verse 4 of uh, chapter 2, he says, don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In verse 14, he says, don't complain and argue. Do you know, these things can so easily come into the church. There is a result. It's all been different. But actually, you know, we we must work at this. We we must have the hearts of, of the one new man in Christ that says we are diverse, we celebrate that, but do you know, we all give glory to God together. Do you know what? The last thing I'll say. Paul described the church in Philippi. He says, I want you to shine like stars. And uh, he said that this is a wicked and depraved generation. 
And yet you can shine like stars when, when you put aside arguments and, and bitterness. And you know what? You look around a dark sky and it's black and it's black and then you see a star and it's a pinprick of lights. It shines out. I think there is nothing more powerful as a testimony to this world than when you take people from every walk of society, from every different echelon. People, you think, why would these people get on? And yet we do get on. And, and yet when we are church together and we are worshipping together, it is like a star shining in the universe. And that's what we want to be. And that's what we can be. Yeah, I believe that's what we are when we, when we come together and, and uh, declare the praises of God together. Wow, I need to stop talking. I want us to stand and uh, we're going to pray together. <clears throat> Let's stand up.